Guys, we've, we've been taking this journey together, this year of the Bible, right? And so many of you are actually reading the Bible right now. Like we, we have so many husbands and wives reading it together for the first time. We have parents reading it with children. Like God is doing something special through this series. Through those of you who are committing to opening the Bible and reading it every day, God is doing something in your life. He is unlocking something inside you. And if today's your first day here you, or you hadn't been part of this, you can pick up a reading plan. Start today. Don't go back and try to start with Genesis 1-1 because we're past you now. Just jump in. You'll get caught up. But God is doing something amazing with our obedience and seeking him in his word. And this week, we get to continue this by looking at a theme that's in the Bible a lot, this theme of identity, people trying to understand who they are. Listen, it is dangerous if you do not know your true identity. If you don't know who you are and who you were created to be, the results can be deadly. You need to understand your purpose and your creation, and when you don't know that, people end up making really, really bad choices. Check it out, Ann. Oh, I don't know why, but I've always loved the idea of summer and sun and all things hot. Really? I'm guessing you don't have much experience with heat. Nope. But sometimes I like to close my eyes and imagine what it'd be like when summer does come. <sighs> Bees the buzz, kids will blow dandelion fuzz, and I'll be doing whatever snow does in summer. I drink in my hand, my snow up against the burning sand, probably getting gorgeously tanned in summer. I'll finally see a summer breeze blow away a winter storm, and find out what happens to solid water when it gets warm. And I can't wait to see what my buddies all think of me. Just imagine how much cooler I'll be in summer. The hot and the cold are both so intense. Put them together, it just makes sense. Winter's a good time to stay in and cuddle, but put me in summer and I'll be a happy snowman. When life gets rough, I like to hold on to my dream of relaxing in the summer sun, just letting off steam. The sky will be blue, and you guys will be there too. When I finally do what frozen things do in summer, I'm gonna tell him. Don't you dare. In summer. Yes, yes. I love that scene. Doesn't really have anything to do with where we're going today, but it's gorgeous. It's just, no, it does. So Olaf doesn't know who he is, right? Olaf, that's a, if he understood what it meant to be a snowman, he would understand that summer is not something he should be looking forward to. But he, he doesn't understand. Y'all got to get deep with me today. Bring it deep. You got to understand what's going on with Olaf. He does not understand the consequences of summer because he does not know what it means to be a snowman. And so his lack of identity is going to be deadly. The same for us, though, really. I mean, we get our identity from a lot of strange places, don't we? 
Some of us got our identity from our parents. They named us this, and this is who we are. Some of us get our identity in junior high or high school when we get our nickname, right? Any of y'all have a nickname? Like my nickname, and I know I've shared this, my nickname in, in high school was Hamburglar because my friends said I looked like the Hamburglar. I don't. Um, David Metter, who goes to church here, I wish he was here. I wish I had a picture of him. Uh, his nickname was Beaver because he looked just like Leave It to Beaver, that kid. Uh, my friend Philip's name was Spock. That's kind of obvious. It looked like Spock. But I mean, you, you, you get your nickname and that becomes who you are. And we get our identities from so many weird places. Some of us get them uh, from something that happened to us, like you become a widow or a mother or a father or whatever. Or you get divorced and now you're a divorcee. Or, or, or our identities are, are by some problem we have, like we're, we're addicted to something so we become an addict. Or we have lots of money and so we become rich. Or we don't have much money, we become poor. Or our identity revolves around some body image, like we're, we're really muscular or really good looking or whatever. So that becomes our identity. Or we have some insecurity. And so that insecurity becomes our identity. But whatever it is, we have all these identities that the world places on us. And that becomes who we are. Because we don't have any idea who we really are. We become whoever we are called. Whoever they tell us we are, that's who we become. And so it's no wonder we have an identity crisis. And the problem with just taking an identity that the world gives you is it results in death. The death of your God-given plan and purpose. And so I was thinking about this this week and I started, I was like, all right, how do I find my true self? And so I Googled because that's what I always do when I want to find something really important. So I Googled how to find my true self. And the first thing I found was an article that was 20 steps to finding my true self. 20 steps to finding my true self. And I was like, that's good, but that's going to take me forever. I don't want 20 steps. So I kept reading. You know what I found? 15 steps. That's better. 15 steps to finding my true self. But I was still like, you know what? I still don't want to invest that sort of time in it. So I continued to read, and I found what I'm about to share with you. Brace yourselves. Six steps for finding your true self. You're welcome. I did the homework for you. So get your pens out. Six steps, as spoken by Mr. Google, six steps to finding your true self. Step one. Really, I want y'all should be writing down. Step one. Accept yourself above all else. Believe you are perfect just as you are. That's good. I like that. Step two, nobody is perfect, so don't try to be. What? <laughs> Step one just told me to accept myself. As now they're telling me, I, I'm two steps into the six-step process, and I'm about to give up. Step three, this is good. Accept everyone else just as they are. Accept everyone else just as they are. So don't expect much from yourself and don't expect much from anyone else. Right? That's good. So now let's look at step four. Be selfish. That's good. You know who's really good at this? My five-year-old daughter. <laughs> She's got these five steps knocked out. So step four is be selfish. The subhead is you must understand it is indeed about you. That's good. Step five, this is a good one. Use everyone else as a mirror. Find in others what you want in you. So compare yourself to everyone else. 
Find the things you like in them and then try to become more like them in that area. Then finally, step six, and this is the most important. Please hear me on this. Step six, connect with your core. Oh, yes. <laughs> Connecting with my core. Y'all are kind of bothering it, right? What does that even mean? Like connect with my core. So those are the six steps to finding yourself, and they have Oprah Winfrey's seal of approval. So at first I thought it was nonsense, then I realized Oprah, guys, what is this? If you did take notes, please wad them up and hand them to your neighbor (laughs) and have your neighbor hit you in the head with it. These are not six good steps. (laughs) You took notes, didn't you? (laughs) These are not six good steps. This is not what you want to do. Okay, this is the opposite of what you want to do. These, step, these are good steps if your highest goal in life is becoming more like you. Like if what you really believe you need is more of you, then these might be six good steps. So what if you want to be more extraordinary than you can be on your own? What if you believe there's something beyond what you can become just by being more of you? If you believe that, then there are some other steps you need to take to find your true identity. Because there is a process, and there is a plan, but changing your hairstyle isn't going to get you there. And changing schools, and changing churches, and changing relationships, and better living, and all all those things might be good, but they will not help you find your God-given identity. There is a major theme in the Bible, and the theme is self-discovery. But no one in the Bible ever discovers self until they discover a power higher than self. So I'm going to give you guys the punchline for today's message right now. I will never know who I am until I know who I am is. I will never know who I am until I truly know who I am is. Stick with me. Genesis 17, 1 through 5 says this. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and blamelessly. Then I will make my covenant between me and you, and I will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down, and God said, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. All right, I read that this week, and I learned something that I did not know this week, because we read that a few weeks ago, right? I reread it this week. I called my brother Jeff and said, Dude, I just discovered something in the Bible. And he said, everybody knew that. I was like, I'm never calling you again. So I called Bruce, and he was surprised. <laughs> it's my other brother. <laughs> I learned something, though, for real. So there's something really, really cool that happens in that story right there. Abram had, had agreed to follow God, Right? And Abram had left his home and his family, and Abram had done some cool things. But in this verse, Abram does something he has not yet done at any other point in the story. It says this. It says, Abram fell face down. He bowed down to God. In this part of the story, Abram falls on his knees face down before God. He say, you are God and I am not. He humbles himself. He acknowledges who he is. He acknowledges who God is. And when he does that, God changes his tense. God has been saying, you will become, you will be, you will be. And then this is what God said in verse 9. 
God says, no longer will you be called Abram. From now on, you will be Abraham, for I have made you. Not I will make you. Now I have made you a father to many nations. When Abram bowed down on his hands and knees, when he, when he got flat in front of God, when he acknowledged God, acknowledged himself, in that moment, he received his identity as Abraham. In that moment, when he bowed down before God, he became who he was always designed to be. Abraham did not find Abraham until he found God. There's another, y'all remember Jacob? We talked about Jacob a couple weeks ago. Jacob in Genesis, in Genesis 32, 25. This is an amazingly cool story, okay? So Jacob is wrestling with God. And so it says in verse 25, when the man saw, and by the man they're talking about God, when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it's daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. So in this story, we're reading about Jacob wrestling with God. When you first read that, it sounds pretty weird, doesn't it? But how many of you have ever wrestled with God over something? You ever wrestled with God over something? He wanted you to do something. He wanted you to say something. He wanted you to give something. He wanted you to leave something. He wanted you to go. He wanted you to do something. And you're wrestling with God. And in this moment when, when Jacob is really wrestling with himself, he's trying to figure things out. He's trying to wrestle with his identity. God looks at him and says, what is your name? Jacob was asked that question earlier by his daddy. You remember, does anyone remember when, when his daddy said, what's your name, Jacob? Do you remember what Jacob said? Esau. He lied the last time someone asked him his name and said he was his brother. And so God is saying, all right, I'm asking you your name again. Are you going to continue to be a liar? Are you going to be a deceiver? Are you going to be the old you? Here's your chance. What is your name now? Will you tell me? So what are you going to say? And Jacob says, Jacob, I am who, I'm, who I am. This is me, honest before you, God. This is me. I know what I've done. I'm wrestling with you in that moment. God says, your new name is Israel. When Jacob got honest in front of God, when he surrendered to God, when he wrestled with God and acknowledged who he was and who God was, God said, now you are ready. Now your name will be Jacob. And Jacob says, who is this? And God said, you know who I am. And clearly Jacob knew because in the next verse, he names the place Penel, which means to wrestle with God. Jacob knew who he was wrestling with. And when he acknowledged God, he became who he was always designed to be. Then we see Moses. We have our readings for this week. Man, Moses is one of my favorite characters in the Bible for several reasons. One, I know I've told you all this before. But when, he sees, when, when Moses first meets God, the burning bush, you all remember that story? He doesn't use any exclamation points, which I think is hilarious. <laughs> He says, go back and read it. He's like, there's a burning bush over there, period. Maybe I should go see what it's doing, period. Oh, boy, period. I mean, I would be like, there's a burning bush over there. Exclamation point. That would have seven exclamation points. 
Moses did not have one. So he's the calmest dude in a burning bush. I guess he sees it all the time, whatever. But, but this guy has no idea about his identity. He's a murderer. He killed an Egyptian. And his mommy took him, I mean, bad upbringing. This dude's mommy took him, and the only plan she could think of was to put him in a river and just kind of float him down there and hope somebody finds him. I mean, what kind of panic is that? What do we do with the baby? Ah, oh, just toss him in there. That's like a dad solution, not a mom solution. Put him in a leaf, honey, and float him down there. Somebody, copy fisherman. What? So they float him down in the river. He's raised by people who aren't his people. He's on the run. He has no idea who he's supposed to be. And then God comes to him through this burning bush, and he exhibits no emotion whatsoever. And God says this, and this is, this is uh, Exodus 3, verse 7. The Lord said, I have, seen the, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them up from that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptianites are oppressing them. So now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. This is the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you will, be worshiping, you will worship God on this mountain. And Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your father sent me. What if they ask me what your name is? What shall I tell them? And God said, oh, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God, your father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has sent you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. I love this story so much. I don't know why. I, just, I love it. So I think it's so cool. Moses is, is there and, and God says, Moses, I'm going to send you it's your time. I'm going to send you. And you, I know you, you've been all these things, but I'm giving you a new identity right now. You are going to be the man I use to set the people free. And Moses goes, hell, who me? For some reason, there are always mobsters in my mind. I, hell, what am I going to do? Hell, hey. I don't know why. That's, why. that's how Moses talks. So God's like, you're going to do it. I don't know. I don't know, God. He didn't want to do it, and he, he didn't believe, he didn't trust God, and he's like, who, I mean, what are, who do I tell him sent me? And God's like, you tell him I am sent. And then in this moment, in this story, we learn one of the most valuable truths in the entire world, and it's one the people of God forget so often. And, and I believe so much of what we do and who we are depends on this one sacred truth from the Bible. God looks at Moses and says this, it's not really about you. Yeah. I wonder how many times God has said that to me. And I was like, oh, hey, hold on, God. Maybe it is, you know. God's like, it's not about you, Moses. I am is doing the work here. 
I am going to set the people free. I am going to deliver them from slavery. I am the God, the father of Isaac and Jacob and Abraham. I am. I am doing everything. All you are is going where I am tells you to go. You are not doing the work. I am. You just go and do what I'm telling you to do, and I will show up, and I will be me. And in this moment, Moses, for the first time ever, understands it's not about me, it's about him. Moses, the sum of his identity was not what Moses could do on his own. Who Moses was, was wrapped up in who I am is. And Moses did something. Moses is remembered as the man who, who, who brought the, the Israelites out of captivity. Because he got the identity that God had always intended him to have. The secret to knowing who you are is to know who I am is. The secret to knowing who you are supposed to be is knowing who God really is. God is the one doing the work. God is calling you. God is equipping you. God is going to give you what you need. Too many times God calls us and our first response is, hey, no, God is like, if I am calling you, then I'm going to be faithful. But we make it about us instead of making it about him. If you want if you want to understand who, who you were designed to be, you need to get to know God. Because everything flows from God to us. Somehow we flip this around. We think everything flows from us to the world and to God. No, everything flows from God to us and through us. Everything we have, everything we are is from God, through us, and to someone. Everything comes from the Father down to the creation. That's why the created does not get to name themselves. Only the creator gets to decide who you are. Only the creator has the privilege and the pleasure of naming the created. And it's no different than Jesus, man. We see in Matthew, I, I, this is another one of my favorite stories. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus has been hanging out with these dudes. And at some point, Jesus stops and has this incredibly beautiful conversation in Matthew 16, 13, where it says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea and Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do the people say the Son of Man is? Right? Then, then it says, then they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, some say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? By the way, this is a question Jesus Christ is going to ask every one of us at some point. What about you? Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, you are the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. It's beautiful. He's like, who do they say I am? And the people are like, I don't know. They say all sorts of things. No one really knows who you are. And then he goes, well, who do you say I am? And Peter says, I know who you are. You are the, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. You are the chosen one. You are the one who has come to set me free. And Jesus says to him, now you are ready for your true identity. No longer will you be whoever you've been in the past. Today you are Peter. You are the rock on which I will build my church. And Peter said, finally the rock has come back to Philippi. That's a wrestling joke. Thank you. <laughs> oh, man. He realized who he was, the rock on which the church would be built. 
Isn't it funny, by the way, how far God goes to create his church? And people still say, I love Jesus, but I don't love church. You cannot love the groom if you don't love the bride, guys. We are the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. He says, he says you, I will, I, will build, I will build my church on you. And Peter will fail him later. I mean, P- Peter will deny Jesus. Peter will, 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 at one point, Jesus is even like, Satan, get behind me when Peter's running his mouth. He's like, I don't even want to hear it right now. Get back there. Peter fails over and over and over again, but Peter's identity is not the sum of his failure. Peter's identity has become the greatest evangelist the world would ever know because Peter repented. Peter found a resurrected Christ. Peter was full of the Holy Spirit. And we exist today in this room because Peter is the rock on which the church was built. He embraced his identity because he came to know Jesus Christ. If you want to know who you are, you must know who I am is. The solution, people come to me, and and I had a great conversation with somebody last week. A young lady came, and and we were praying together, and she said, I want to know my purpose. I want to know what I'm supposed to do. I want to know who who I'm supposed to, what's next for me. This is your purpose. I want you to hear this. Your purpose is to come to know Christ better. That's That's what you exist to do right now. You come to know Christ better, and the more you know Christ, the more you will know who you were designed to be. And it's interesting, like, if, if you polled the entire world and you said, do you believe in a God? Most people would say yes, right? Most people in the world believe in some sort of higher power. And then, and then if, you, if you made the next question a little more difficult, you said, do you believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Do you believe in Yahweh? Do you believe in the God of the New Testament and the Old Testament? Less people would say, yes, I believe in that. And then if you said, well, do you believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, Do you believe that Jesus is the only way, the only truth, the the only way to know the Father is through the Son? Do you believe that you must place your faith in Jesus Christ to have eternal salvation, to have life in this place? Even less people would say, yeah, I believe that. But then if you asked one more question, if you said, do you believe that that very God himself who came as Jesus Christ and who died on the cross and who resurrected from the grave, that that God lives inside of you Through the person of the Holy Spirit, you'd get almost nobody who truly believes that. Guys, I I, I want this. We must get this as the church. It's good that you know a God out there. But if you don't come to know that that God's in here, you're missing the whole thing. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit of the living God. God lives in you. Man, when Jesus looks at you, he sees power beyond your pain. He sees potential beyond your problems. Because when God looks at you, do you know what God sees? For those of you who have accepted Jesus Christ, you know what God sees when he looks at you? God. Christ himself is the power inside of you. It's kind of weird. I was thinking about this this week because it almost seems weird to think. But like, I, I, I picture myself talking to Jesus, just sitting there having a conversation. And Jesus says, Tommy, do you know what's beautiful about you? And I'm like, what? <laughs> Jesus says, you know what's powerful about you? And I'm like, what, Jesus? What? What's powerful about me? And I got some ideas. But... He says, you know what's so incredibly wonderful about you, Tommy? And I'm like, what, Jesus? And he goes, me. isn't it true though do you know what's so beautiful about this place Jesus Christ 
You know what's so beautiful about you, Jesus Christ? You know what's so powerful in me, Jesus Christ? Do you know what's so wonderful about everything we get to do? Jesus Christ, he is everything. Apart from him, I am nothing. I am dead, worthless. I I am nothing apart from Christ. And until we get this, we will never embrace the power that is alive inside of us. I am dead apart from him, but I am not apart from him. He is in me. There's power in me. There's power in you. Why in the world, I, I never understand this, why Christians whine so much. While we complain so much, what are you complaining about? The power of God is in you. I'm a victim. You're not a victim. You're more than a conqueror. The Holy Spirit of the living God is inside of you. You have power over your circumstance. You have power over that emotion. You have power over the situation. You have power over the identity the world has given you because the world does not get to name you. We belong to the Creator, and the Creator is the one who names his children. We are sons and daughters, and we are inhabited by the King. There is power in you. There's power in you. In the day this church, and I mean collective, all of us sitting in this room, the church is not, you are the church. The day this church realizes the power that's inside of you will be the day we finally set all the captives free. Because when you realize how powerful you are and that that power is not from you, you have a confidence and a humility that makes no sense to the world. And when you realize the power that's in you, They will see Christ through you. Guys, there is power in you. There's power in you. You are not powerless, and they don't get to name you. If they've called you a divorcee, today let that go. That's not your name. If they called you a failure, let that go. That's not your name. If they called you rich, if they called you poor, if they called you beautiful, if they called you ugly, it doesn't matter what they called you. That is not your name. Your name is more than a conqueror. Your name is chosen, righteous, redeemed, set apart, sacred. Your name is daughter and son of a king. Embrace that name and believe that that king resides in you and there is nothing. The gates of hell will not come against the church. Nothing stops us. Embrace the power that's in you. Embrace the power that's inside of you. It's time for those chains to fall, isn't it? Your new name. Your new name, your new name is righteous. Your new name is redeemed. Your new name is forgiven, set apart. And you are beautiful, and you are powerful, and you are incredible.